At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Men, If you would, find with me our text for this week in your bulletin. We're in Mark 11, 22 through 25, and we've been reading this together all week long. So if you would, find that and stand with me, because we're going to read this aloud together. This, then, is the text for today. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. May God bless the reading of His Word. There are a couple of numbers that I want you to be aware of today as we work through the sermon. The first of those numbers that I want you to be aware of is the weight of Mount Everest. And the second number that I want you to be aware of is the depth of the Mariana Trench, the depth of the bottom of the sea. Now, the first number, the weight of Mount Everest, I wouldn't even know how to begin to go about determining the weight of such a mountain. But I do, as we often do, and I went to the internet, and I asked the internet, how much does Mount Everest weigh? And there there was a a surprising answer and a seeming definitive answer to that question, which many websites who may have been repeating what one another were saying said, Mount Everest weighs 357 trillion pounds with a T. See, that number is unimaginable to us. It's almost impossible for for us to kind of put that in in any sort of way for us to understand. And so, I saw the same example in the websites that were were saying this. They said, well, think of it this way. It's in the the same line as 200,000 Golden Gate Bridges. But even that, uh, what does that mean? How much is that? The number is massive. It's almost an impossible number for us to grasp. And as we think through that, if I wanted to move 357 trillion pounds, I would need something otherworldly. As it stands today, the best machine that humanity has come up with is a crane that can lift somewhere around 44 million pounds. Now, even that, the best humanity could come up with, wouldn't lift a fraction of a percent of Mount Everest, couldn't even make it budge. Now, the second number, so the second number is just as important, how deep is the ocean? The deepest point in the ocean is the Mariana Trench near Guam in the Pacific Ocean. It goes down some 36,000 feet, nearly seven miles, straight down. 
Now, the, the primary peak then of our earth, Mount Everest, and the primary valley that we find at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean are captivating. They, they are these extremes that cause great wonder in us. Their, their magnitude themselves humiliate us as individual humans. We're nothing in comparison to that height or that depth. In fact, even those two in particular, they, they serve as markers of the advancement of human progress that we see as hikers make their way up at the appropriate time to the peak of Mount Everest. It is a grand thing. The same thing when, when a person or a robot makes it down into that inhospitable crevasse at the bottom of the ocean. This is a wonderful feat for humanity. In most of our lives, we're fe we feel like we're caught between the two, between that deep valley and that great peak. Now, we say it, God created us, though, to enjoy Him. God, God created us to in, enjoy this creation, to marvel at it, to find great rejoicing at these kinds of things that point to the, to the grandness of our Creator. But most of the time, life doesn't feel that way for most people. Instead, most of us feel unable, and, and most of us feel lost. And, and it, it's in that lostness and that in that inability that God reaches down and touches his children. You see, where God intended us to be in awe of, of a grand creation, marveling at, at his created, creative powers, to, to look up with wonder at this God who could at the same time place a snow cap on a rugged peak, and while he's doing that, feed the unseen sea creatures of an inhospitable canyon. God can do those things in an instant that we couldn't do in a lifetime. You see, one of the difficult things for us as we walk through this created order, for most people, most of the time, in, in, instead of, of recognizing the, the power of the Creator, we feel at odds with His creation. You see, rather than, than being a, a conquering hero planting a flag on Mount Everest, we feel more like the frozen hiker stumbling backward into an abyss. Why, why is that? Where, where is the joy to be found in this life and in this creation? Where, where is the joy when, when we are experiencing an, an unrelenting weather system? at the top of a mountain range? Where is the joy when, when, we're, when we're feeling those incomparable pressures like on the seafloor? One of the things that we need to recognize together in this is that 
all of our disillusionment with creation and all of the pain that we experience are directly tied to sin on this earth. And usually it is our own sin, though occasionally it's the sin of those around us. But the difficulties of this life always come back to the dramatic effect that sin has on each one of our lives. Death itself is a product of this sin. The deterioration of our lives are caused by our sin. Our own sin creates the inhospitable environment that we face day in and day out. That, that as we sin, it is as if 375 trillion pounds of rock pile up in front of us to separate us from the Lord our God. And, 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 and the, the more sin takes root in our life, the higher that mountain goes to become impassable for us. And the worse the conditions get on our end. Sin makes your life feel like those bitter storms that unfortunate explorers face. And they tell us as they climb up Mount Everest, you can face 100 mile an hour winds and minus 20 is considered warm. And it's interesting because we can kind of wrap our heads around those inhospitable conditions. And, and that's why most of us refuse to even entertain the idea of doing something like summiting Everest. But what we, we fail to realize and where we fail to make the connection is that our sin creates the same kind of havoc in our lives, creating great storms and impassable barriers that, that build up over time. And, it, and it's almost as if the, the 375 or 67 trillion pounds of, of weight just come barreling down on us so that we can't move anymore. You know, the, the storms, the worst storms of, of Everest Peak wipe out anyone in the vicinity. And, and that's comparable to, to what sin does. It just... It, it drains the life out of us. It hits us from every angle and then begins to suffocate us by its own weight. You know, we, we tell ourselves that sin isn't that bad. We, we convince ourselves that, that sin is conquerable and that whatever, whatever effects of sin are happening in our lives, that we can handle it. But the, the truth and reality of Scripture is that you can't handle it. There has only been one person ever in the history of this world who was able to handle it, and he handled it. There's only one person ever who could, who could take everything that sin could muster up against him. You cannot. You cannot overcome the pain inflicted by your sin. And there's another harsh reality here, too, that one of the greatest difficulties of this life is that it not only happens when you sin. We can almost understand the, the unfortunate and unbearable weight of sin pressing against our lives when it's our own sin. But one of the difficult things for us to, to, to handle is that the, the same thing happens when someone around you sins. When, when someone in your life sins, 
You're affected in the same dramatic ways. That sin splatters. It hurts everybody that's around you. When, when somebody in the church sins, it affects the church. When, when somebody in, in your family sins, it, it affects the family. We're, we're pelted with painful repercussions. And, and, and the difficulty here is then when you can't find it in yourself to forgive them for what they have done, this difficulty multiplies. You know, it's interesting, Jesus here, and, and in Mark 11, we're coming to the end of Jesus' ministry. I mean, we just had the triumphal entry. He's, he's beginning Passion Week. We're walking towards the cross here in Mark chapter 11. And he tells us the same thing here at the end of his ministry as he does at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew. That in Matthew, at the beginning of his ministry, when we get to that famous passage of the Lord's Prayer, he tells us the same thing there after the Lord's Prayer that he tells us here. That the effectiveness of your prayers are directly linked to your willingness to forgive. That when your heart swells with vengeance, or when your thoughts are filled with, with punishment of another person for what they've done to you, it doesn't really matter what they've done. When, when, you're, when your head becomes infatuated with getting back at them, you have taken Satan's bait. And the rate at which your heart decays accelerates to the point of exhaustion. You see, one of the things that we have to recognize together in this is that the act of forgiveness is not something that you can conjure up. It's not something you're going to find in your own heart. It's not something that you can force to happen. You don't have it in you, right? I, I don't have it in me to, to be forgiving, not genuinely, but we can find it. And the promise of Scripture is that that forgiveness, genuine mercy, is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. What we learn in these pages is that you learn to forgive by sitting at the base of the cross and watching your Savior die. You learn forgiveness at the mercy seat of God. And the only way that you will ever know, the only way that you will ever experience, the only way that you will ever understand forgiveness to any degree is to be forgiven by our God. And as we begin to understand that forgiveness, we can share it with others. When you come in near to God and ask him to forgive you and you experience his mercy, life begins to change. And what happens is you begin to understand both the depth and the weight of your own sin. You begin to understand this, this, this burden, this, this weight of the guilt of sin has buried you. And, and your, your guilt has made life impossible. And at the throne of God, he lifts that off your chest. 
And, and, and there, there comes a relief that you can't wait to share with another person. Forgiveness is found in Christ there. And at the cross, you begin to understand that you didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And, and, and there you learn, when you didn't deserve God's forgiveness, God forgave you. So when someone in your life doesn't deserve your forgiveness, you can forgive them. You see, if you haven't been to the cross lately, you'll never forgive. But there, at Golgotha, forgiveness flows freely. And you can learn to forgive. Now, there are a couple other items of note here in the reverse text for this week. A couple of things that we need to pay attention to. Now, now one of those is this mountain. In verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. You know, most, most Christians hear this, and often it's taught this way, that when we think of, of prayer that can move mountains, we think of Jesus as some sort of interior decorator. That we see Jesus as the one who can take the mountain over here and shift that mountain slightly so then we have a better view from our back porch. Now this, this is not what Jesus is talking about. This, this is not who Jesus is. Now we know our creator well. Our, our creator could pick up 375 trillion pounds of a mountain. G God is capable of taking Mount Everest, lifting it off its base, bringing it to San Antonio, and placing it in our midst so that we have something to look at. God is capable of this sort of thing, but that's not who he is. Right? And you say, Pastor, we know God isn't going to literally move Mount Everest to San Antonio. But most of the time, when you hear this passage referenced, that's the sort of thing we imagine. Maybe not Mount Everest moving, but the kinds of things we imagine are fantasies to be fulfilled, material wants to be given, or, or something exorbitantly expensive to be brought into our lives. Those are the things that people most often think of when we come to verses 23 and 24. That isn't what Jesus is talking about either. As Jesus teaches us here, one of the things that we need to take away is that there are all kinds of things that get in the way of our relationship with God. There are all kinds of things that are a hindrance to our salvation. There are all kinds of things that are a hindrance to our sanctification in this life. Things that become immovable for us, but not for God. That, that sin of our life is one of those immovable obstructions that, that becomes this behemoth that we can't even think of our life without it. But God can move it in an instance. Uh, forgiveness is another one of those things. The forgiveness for us in the flesh is an impossible task. It is a mountain too tall, but by the Spirit of God, He can make it so in our lives. There, there are things that our Christ is capable of removing 
so that we can be near to our God that we could never remove on our own. Now, one of those, there's another thing here, a piece of what Jesus is talking about, an unsurpassable barrier that seems to to come from a distant time that that gets in our way of getting to God. I want you to know where this happens in Mark. As you you look up at the the previous part of this, this chapter that we've been reading this week, there's this odd scene where Jesus curses the fig tree It's a prayer in and of itself, but the the prayer is a curse where Jesus curses a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit, and he he prays that that fig tree would die, that, that it would wither up, and no one would ever eat fruit off that fig tree again. Now, this is an, this is an odd thing for Jesus to pray for. But, but it's just before this text. I mean, the, the text we've been reading this week is an explanation of this scene where, where Jesus prays, may that fig tree never produce fruit again. And when the disciples come back around, it has withered to its root. And, and in the same scene, in, in the middle of that fig tree episode is where Jesus goes into the temple and drives the money changers out of the temple and he declares, you have made the temple of God a den of robbers. This, this was intended to be a house of prayer and what you have turned it into is something completely different than what God intended for this place. That, that's, that's the scene that leads up to the explanation that we have this morning. So that... When Jesus says in verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, there's a high likelihood here that he's looking at the mountain that the temple sits on. That just beyond them is a mountain peak that this temple sits upon that he has just driven the money changers out of. If you say to this mountain, now remember, there's, there's this other barrier that was between us and God. It was this Old Testament temple system that you couldn't participate in, that, that God was separated from humanity, that his mercy seat was kept at a distance and, and marked with a, a veil that only one person was allowed in once a year, the high priest. And that was so until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So that when, when Jesus says that this mountain can be moved, that that mountain that the temple sat upon shook and shook violently at the crucifixion. Remember that crucifixion scene? The same time, it says, as Jesus breathed his last breath, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. As the temple veil is being ripped from top to bottom, it says the earth began to shake. And, and, and the mountain that the temple sat on began to shake. And, and, and stones began to, to tear apart and tombs burst open. Shook the mountain to its core. And it would never be the same again. Not to this day since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
And I want you to notice something else here. Jesus wasn't talking about just moving a mountain over a bit. I think sometimes when we think about moving mountains, we we think of this picture of this this mountain that was here and then now is set over here for, for whatever reason. But, but in verse 23, Jesus says that, that if you pray that this mountain will be moved, it's not just moved, but it's cast into the sea. And, and this is the work of Christ at the cross, that everything that stands in the way of your relationship with God is removed and, and cast beyond that which you can know. It it goes to the bottom of the sea as far as the east is from the west. Everything that separates you from God has been taken care of and is moved by God himself. Once there were temple rites that separated you from your God. Jesus threw them to the bottom of the sea. Your sins proved impassable. Jesus, Jesus picked them up and threw them to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And, and there's this, this sentiment that our flesh holds on to. It, it grieves us. That, that sentiment that won't allow us to forgive somebody else. There's this part of our heart that doesn't want to forgive people that wronged us. Jesus can move that too. Jesus can can take that sentiment and rip it out of your heart and feed it to the bottom dwellers of the ocean. Whatever mountain is hindering your relationship with God, whatever mountain is keeping you from salvation, whatever mountain is keeping you from forgiveness, the Christ has picked it up and thrown it into the ocean. Whatever is hindering your relationship with God this morning, he isn't just nudging it over, but it is picked up and thrown to the bottom of the sea, never to see the light of day again. What's hindering you this morning? What's hindering your relationship with God this morning? What what is keeping you from salvation? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it guilt? What is keeping you from God? What mountain is in the way from you running straight to your heavenly Father today? Because whatever it is, Jesus can move it. The the Creator can recreate life with every barrier removed. I want us to go back a little bit to Mark chapter 5. It's the passage that Jay read for us earlier. And in that scene in Mark chapter 5, there was a man who had allowed an evil spirit into his heart. And somehow that evil spirit had come in and multiplied demon after demon. And, and this evil tormented the man. So much so that the, the townspeople had to chain him up outside of town. And, and the, this, this evil 
ruined his life so that the life wasn't even recognizable in him anymore. Now, I want to I hit on a few verses here. Walk with me. Mark 5, 5. This is the terrible nature of the situation. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains. He was gashing himself with stones. And go down 11, 12, and, and, and 13. So this evil, this evil spirit and spirits are, are speaking to Jesus. Now there was a, a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And this is, so Jesus gave them permission. The, these evil spirits had to have Jesus' permission. And he gave it to them. And they entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. There was about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned into the sea. Jesus took the evil out of this man's life and he drowned at the bottom of the ocean. And, and continue on. Look, look down at, at 15 as well. So they came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been demon possessed and now he's sitting down, clothed, and he's in his right mind. Je Jesus has healed him. That, that evil that had terrorized his life that he was not capable of overcoming, in an instant, Jesus takes it away and throws it into the sea. Look down at verse 19. And Jesus says to the man, go home to your people and report it to them. What great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. In Christ, there goes everything that separates you from God. Every barrier you have put up, every barrier somebody else has put up, every barrier Satan has put up, every demon that stands in the way, there it goes by the blood of Jesus Christ drowned in the depths of the sea. The heaviest barriers to the bottom of the ocean. May we know the mercy of Christ in this same way. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray now that whatever is hindering our relationship with you, that you would remove it. Father, we know it's too heavy for us. Would you reach down from heaven and pluck those things out of our lives? Lord, remove every barrier so that we can come running home. So that we can know the hug of a heavenly father who is merciful. To be clothed with compassion and welcomed home. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to, 
to know that this morning. To know your power, to, to know your forgiveness. And Lord, that it would transform us. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.